Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had this morning. And if you would, grab your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke uh, for one more time here this Christmas New Year's season. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2, if you will. And uh, that is where we're going to be here this morning as we look at the last song of the Savior, as we might say, or as we have been saying, really, uh, over the course of the past couple of weeks. And as we find ourselves here we are, it is crazy to think it is December 31st, it is New Year's Eve, we have come a long way this year. It is 360 days before we get to celebrate Christmas again, so you got plenty of time to prepare for all that, plenty of time to put things away maybe, or just cover them up with a bed sheet and hide them in a basement somewhere, whatever it is that you uh, do. But as we think about the season and all of the build-up and all of the expectation with the season. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas day. Hope you had a wonderful time with your family. Hope all of the expectation and all the detail and all the food and everything else just came together in a wonderful way. And I hope that where you find yourself at this moment now is not as though you've hit the lull or you're just sort of coming through this little gap between Christmas and the end of the year, but that the glory of Christ, the wonder of knowing Him, the majesty of who He is, the wonder of what He has done, that that would carry through. And that would carry through not only this last week of the year and even on today, this last day of the year, but it would carry us through into the new year, marveling at the glory of who Jesus is and what He has done for us. So let me invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 22, and uh, we're going to read our way all the way down through verse 30. Uh, five, and as we do so, and you know, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. You can take that home with you as our gift to you here today. But here we are in Luke chapter two, and what we're really doing is looking at, in many ways, a closing song that's going to carry us through. That's going to close the set for the Christmas season, but carry us through into marveling at who Jesus is and what He has done. So read with me, if you will, Luke chapter two, starting at verse twenty-two, and this is what we read. It says, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel in a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as this year comes to a close and a new year begins, may we bring in the new year. May we end the year 
now and bring in the new year tomorrow, marveling at Jesus. Father, by your spirit at work through your word, stir our hearts to worship in spirit and truth. For some to worship for the first time in repentance and faith. For others to be renewed in their faith and just to be renewed in their awe and wonder at who you are and what you have done for us. Father, in all things and in every way, lead us to yourself that we may worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' mighty name we pray together. Amen. So by the time we've come to this point in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen a lot happen already. We've talked about Zechariah, and we've talked about, you know, not only the angel appearing to Zechariah, but all of what took place there. And of course, Elizabeth uh, got pregnant in a miraculous way. But even more than that, Mary got pregnant in a really miraculous way. There she is, a virgin, and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and Jesus is in the womb. And then, of course, Jesus and John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, even while he's in the womb, is leaping for joy because Jesus arrives. And then, of course, we had Mary's song and the wonder of praise there. And then we talked about Zechariah's song and just the wonder of how God had put all the details and orchestrated all things together. And then we, last week, we looked at and sang along with the song of the angels from heaven of singing glory to God in the highest. What wonderful songs have carried us through and what a wonderful way in which God has prepared our hearts to continue marveling at who Jesus is. Because by the time we come to this point, the shepherds have been back in their fields. Jesus has been circumcised on the eighth day. He has been uh, officially given that name Jesus, given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so the time has come for their purification. Verse 22, according to the law of Moses. Now, it's interesting as we think about this, it's, it's just like life. It just keeps moving, right? It's like one detail just follows after another, and it's so, it happens so quickly, and sometimes it's, you're so invested in the moment, and it's there, and then it's gone in a heartbeat. That's how Christmas feels, isn't it? That's how a whole year feels after you come to the final day of the year, and you look back, and you're like, what happened there? It all happens so quickly, and already here we are. It's the time for their purification. And so according to Leviticus chapter 12, this would take place 40 days after a son is born. A woman, according to the law, was set apart. She was considered ceremonially unclean, so she would not be involved in anything regarding worship practices that were taking place. This was both a reminder of the fall of man, but this was also God's mercy in the fact that it allowed a mother to have some rest in time of recovery after the birth of her son. And it's interesting, too, as we read in the details here, it says, and when the time came for their purification. Now, the reference is not to Mary and Jesus. The reference is to Mary and Joseph. In fact, the strict interpretation of the law according to the Pharisees, many of the prominent Pharisees at the time, was that the ceremonial uncleanness of the mother was transferred to the husband, and so they would both have to come for this purification. That's even further indicated in the fact that we're told later on in the verse that they brought him, speaking of Jesus, so Joseph and Mary are bringing up Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. But isn't it striking, before we go any further, how many references there are here to doing things according to what God has said? I mean, to the nth degree, already in one verse, you have three references to that fact. Doing this according to the Word, doing this according to the law, doing this as it is written in the law of the Lord. 
From the very outset of the life of Christ, we see the law being followed and ultimately the law being fulfilled. That he was, as Galatians 4 tells us, born under the law to redeem us from the curse of the law. We see that even here, 40 days after his birth. So they've brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present and offer this sacrifice. It is a reminder the child belongs to the Lord. And of course, this is all a reference to Passover, right? Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. It's a reminder of God's great mercy and the firstborn belonging to the Lord and the reminder of the rescue from death. But how important it is even here to see this reminder of the rescue of death would ultimately display the one who is the redeemer from death in and of himself right here being presented in the temple. And they've come to offer this sacrifice. And of course, the sacrifice for cleansing is according to Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, that ref- refers to a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which is really a way of saying Joseph and Mary did not have two nickels to rub together. They were very poor. God had made provision for those who were poor to bring an offering to be pleasing to the Lord. And all of a sudden we see, as we make our way just this far through all these details... We're sort of reading along and we can nod along and we can almost feel ourselves slinking right down into some very familiar traps. It's just the function and formality of the religious thing. It's very easy to do around the Christmas season, isn't it? You just fall into the slump of just doing the church thing. It's Christmas. You sing the Christmas songs and you do the Christmas things and it's sort of like, you know, you just sort of follow the pattern and you know, you do all the religious services, you come to the temple and you get your birds and you bring a couple bucks and, you know, you listen to some guy go on for a little while and then you go your merry way. You lose a sense of wonder and awe of what is going on. Lose a sense of the glory of the moment that we ought to be marveling still and maybe we're here this morning and we need a fresh interaction with the Spirit of God in our hearts. And we're introduced to somebody who we hear of here and nowhere else in the biblical text. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. His name meaning he has heard. Speaking of God has heard. His name is Simeon. He was a man who was righteous and devout. His character, he was a believer. He loved the Lord. He followed the Lord. He was intent on being devout in all aspects of his life. Genuine believer, obedient in the faith. And here he is, righteous and devout. And what was he doing? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for that promise that we talked about a few months ago in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. Talking about comfort, comfort, Jerusalem. You can find references to it also in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 13, that God himself will comfort his people. He's longing for, he's waiting with great expectation that God would keep his promise, that God would fulfill and display his faithfulness to bring encouragement, to bring hope to the disappointed, to bring joy and peace to those who are beleaguered under the weight of their own sin and their own sorrow. See, much like Simeon, we need this. We need consolation from God because the holiday season has come and gone. 
and the isolation that maybe we felt for a long time, that we had some slight reprieve from, all of a sudden the family has gone. And here we are left to ourselves again. You need His enduring presence that's going to outlast a fleeting visit. You need joy that will never disappoint. You need He who guides us into such consolation. And who is that? The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And of course, prior to Pentecost, we have this wonderful, quiet testimony of how God is at work in this moment, yet again, directing all things to fix their eyes upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit who Himself is described by Jesus Himself as the Comforter. That the God who comforts by His grace is testifying to the one who will ultimately send the Comforter who is yet to come. What an amazing moment this is. As the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon. And the Holy Spirit has told him he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Messiah. The promised one who fulfills the three offices of the anointed offices of the Old Testament, the one who is truth incarnate, the one who is both our great high priest through whom we have access to God, but who also is the atoning sacrifice himself. He who is the sovereign and kind King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's Simeon, and he's got one thing on his bucket list. See, some of y'all around New Year's time don't worry about New Year's resolutions. You gave that up a long time ago. Maybe you come up with a New Year's bucket list, right? Things you just want to do. Things you're longing to do. Things you've always wanted to do. And maybe you're, you know, trying to think through even right now how you're going to talk your wife into letting you go skydiving this year. I don't know. Maybe. Here's Simeon. Spent, we don't even know how many days, longing for and waiting. He's got one thing on his bucket list. To see the Lord's Christ. Because it's not just for him. Because as he looks around in society, there's so many people who need him. So many apathetic and so many full of hopelessness. So many hiding unbelief under the veil of their own religiousness. So many people so weary of just trying to make their own way. All we know here is that God made the promise and God kept the promise. We don't know how long Simeon had to wait. We don't know the details of any of that. But we do know that God promised and God is faithful. And Jesus' arrival is proof. See, shouldn't that stir our hearts to marvel even there? Yet another display of God's faithfulness. As we reflect on this year and we think back of all the ways in which God has displayed His faithfulness, that we're looking here and being, having our hearts stirred yet again for the faithfulness of God in the arrival of Jesus Christ. The promise has been fulfilled. The Savior has come. The light of the nations is piercing the darkness. And it's for my family and your family and for me and for you. And so our expectations ought to be rising up. And see, these great expectations provide a wonderful context for writing good songs. And songs that were ultimately revealed by the Spirit of God Himself.
Because we're told in verse 27, it says he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. God is guiding Simeon. Interesting, isn't it? There's Simeon coming into the temple, and it just happens to be the case. Right at the exact same time, here comes Mary and Joseph with little baby Jesus. How wonderful God's providence actually is. That the timing could not be any better. And that the same Spirit who promised is the same Spirit who guides. Do you see this in your own life? You ought to. That the same Spirit who promises is the same Spirit who's guiding, maybe even stirring in your heart a little curiosity now, or maybe over the course of the past several months has stirred in your heart a curiosity, and yet all of a sudden you've seen how gently and yet how perfectly He has guided you right to Himself. So here the parents, they bring the child. Seems so coincidental, and yet it's perfectly providential. You see, Mary and Joseph knew all sorts of stuff at this moment. They knew about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Joseph had already had his interaction with the angel. Mary had had her interaction with the angel. They had had all their interaction with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had had all that wonderful interaction with the shepherds who had all that interaction with heaven itself. They knew a bunch of stuff. And yet God has provided even more reasons to marvel. See, a lot of us come to the end of the Christmas season, it's like, yeah, we know this stuff, we're familiar with it, and we've lost the sense of wonder about it, just knowing the end, yeah, I've heard this, or yeah, I've heard these details, or yeah, when losing the sense that God has sent His own Son to save us, how amazing that is, and isn't it astounding here, here they are, and they, they're, you know, they're coming in one way, and He's coming in the other, and He says He took the child, took him up in His arms and blessed God. People love babies, don't they? You bring a baby and everybody's going to want to touch it. Right? It doesn't matter. I, I remember when Sam, so Sam was born three months before COVID basically closed the world down. Even then, right, as we're all like hyper germ focused and everything else, they see little Sam like, can I touch his face? I'm like, no, you can't touch his face. Oh, he's just a sweet little baby. Can I grab his hand so he can stick it in his mouth? Like, no, you can't do that. But we love babies, don't we? It's just amazing. You want to tickle them and play with them and hear them laugh and everything else. And how amazing it is that in this moment, here he is, he, he takes the child. And Joseph and Mary are, are watching this whole thing take place. And they're not looking at him being like, what are you doing, old man? They're seeing yet another reason to marvel at what God has done and what God is doing. He blessed God. He's praising and he's worshiping here. It's a familiar tune. It's the same word that's used in chapter 2, verse 18, talking about wondering at what the shepherds had told them. Stirring awe, stirring wonder. And we wonder what the lyrics to this song are going to be. And then we read, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. But if you want the 
Latin name for this song as it's often referred to, Nunc Dimittis, right? Now depart or now dismiss is how you could translate that. Isn't it striking though? Simeon here, he takes the baby. He's worshiping God. He's holding Jesus in his hands. What would you do if somebody took your 40-day-old son, held him in his arms, and you're thinking, okay, I know how this is going to go. He's going to make some comment about how cute he is, right? And he said, he's holding your child, and he's looking at him, he's looking at you, and he's saying, all right, I'm ready to die. What would you do? You'd be like, I'm sorry, sir, what did you say? But he said, now, now, I'm re- now Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace. You've fulfilled your promise. I'm ready to die. But see, as we think even more about that and contemplate the wonder of it, what comforting words those actually are. He is ready to die because he has met the Savior. Can you say that today? As we face the reality of our own mortality, can you face the reality of death having peace with God because you've met the Savior himself. See, God has kept his word. He he is letting his servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding salvation, cradled in his arms. Our salvation is our Savior. He has done all of it. Everything necessary for your salvation rests wholly on the arms, life, righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. He has done it. He even told us from the cross, it is finished. What a Savior we have. He has saved us from our sin, from the wrath of God that we deserve. We deserve to be punished for our sin, and yet in His grace, through all who repent and believe that He died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead, we are saved from the punishment we deserved. We are rescued from the power of sin in our lives, ultimately looking forward to the time in which we are rescued eternally from the presence of sin itself. He is our salvation. Because this boy would become a man who would live in perfect righteousness, who would die on the cross for our sin, who would rise from the dead. Jesus is his name. My eyes have seen your salvation. The suffering servant here come as a child, but who is yet going to be crushed for our iniquities and upon him is the chastisement that brings us peace. The pierced one who opens the fountain of cleansing. The longed for one that long before John the Baptist ever said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's Simeon singing songs of salvation. And even though here we are, Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation. We don't get to see in the same way Simeon does, do we? We don't get to cradle baby Jesus. But we've seen salvation. Lives transformed by the gospel. Lord willing, you've seen this in your own life. The love and grace of God and Jesus Christ just transformed your life, broken over your sin, and you cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And he does, and he saves you, and he picks you up from the ash heap and clothes you with his righteousness. And what wonder he has done, what glory he has done. 
And that this salvation is prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. See, God put all of this together. The presence of all peoples. So no matter who you are or where you're from or what your background may be or what you, the ways in which you sort of figure yourself out, if you come to Jesus Christ in faith, if you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, He is your salvation. And you have a new identity in Jesus Christ and Him alone. What wonderful grace. No matter who you are or where you're from, it is light to the Gentiles Fulfilling promises all over the place. You can think of Isaiah 9, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49 again. To those who are unfamiliar with all the promises of God in the light exposing our sin and exposing our need. And we see this cloak of self-righteousness and all of a sudden we see under the light of the holiness of God just how stained and filthy it is and how much we need His forgiveness. And yet at the same time it is a For the glory to your people, Israel. Glory revealed in their midst. So you think of him healing the paralytic and saying, so that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. He who was walking on the water and displaying his divine power. He who is feeding the 5,000 and revealing himself as the bread of life. He who is greater than the temple who tells him in three days it will be destroyed and I will raise it up, referring to himself. What salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Salvation and light and glory. And are we marveling still? the glory of what God has done. Are we marveling at Jesus Christ who is our salvation? It's quite a song here, isn't it? I wonder how you respond to it. Because Mary and Joseph responded, verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. The more that is said, the more amazing it gets. Are we still marveling? Can we we put the manger scenes away and still marvel? Can we take the decor down and all the joy and peace and love ornaments that are hanging all over our house when we put all those things away? Are we still astounded at the joy and the peace and the love of God and Jesus Christ? Ought we to be? Rejoicing, marveling evermore. That we would be careful not to just pick up the tune and miss the point. Because we can sing all the songs of wonder and everything else of of Christmas and have a heart that is so far from Him. House full of manger scenes and yet being overwhelmingly unrepentant. That we are meant to marvel with our lives And marvel at the fact that not only He is our salvation, but that He confronts and reveals our hearts. Because as the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon, Simeon blesses them. And he says to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. As he is qualified to do, here he gives them 
this parental blessing and more. Because he looks at Mary and he says, behold, listen, look, you need to hear this. This child, this Jesus, he who is the salvation, he who is the light of revelation for the Gentiles, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. See, Jesus confronts the state of our own hearts, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Because he came as a baby, but he didn't stay a baby. See, it's not the manger scene that's so offensive, is it? The manger scene's not offensive at all. But the cross is. That boy in the manger went to the cross. And the cross that declares we must repent and believe, the cross that declares that was my cross, that had my name on it. It, And here in our pride and in unbelief, we oppose the idea, full of doubt and disbelief, railing with the crowd, we have no king but Caesar, we don't want him. So hearts will be exposed by this child who will grow to be this man who teaches and reveals himself to be the Son of God, the only Savior, and the one through whom we must have hope with the Father because he died and rose again for us. He confronts unbelief and many trip and fall. And yet others are rising. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, the believing, the repentant. You think across the Gospels and you think of all the ways, you think of Levi and the tax collector and the ways in which God, Jesus transformed his life. Or you think of the Samaritan woman and the way in which he transformed her life and, you know, calls her to worship in spirit and truth. You think of the demon possessed and all of a sudden this man that nobody wants anything to do with is one that is sitting at Jesus' feet just listening to what he has to say and longing to go with him. And Jesus is sending him out as a missionary to go tell everybody else. This child will redeem and reconcile some of the worst of the worst and the lowest of the low. And he still does. Are we marveling at the fact this is not all past tense? We're not just reading old things because we like it. We're talking about our living Savior and our living Lord who still transforms lives. But I wonder which one of these are you? How have you responded to him? Because Jesus did not come to boost our own ego or to just give us a fun couple of days at the end of the year. Jesus came to save us from our sins. So are we tripping all over Him or are we being lifted up by Him in His grace? Because He's appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. You ignore signs at your own risk. Ignore the stop sign at your own risk. Ignore the sign on the restaurant that says they got a 67 on their health department thing at your own risk. If we ignore the signs, we do so to our own peril. Everything Jesus did pointed and revealed the wonder of his great glory. And yet even still, he is so often opposed. 
So many are fine with baby Jesus, but no one wants to hear, repent or you will likewise perish. Re-exposes our heart's inclination toward sin. But we ought, rather, to marvel at His grace and love that confronts and reveals our hearts and calls us to repent and believe. And yet as the marveling rises in our hearts, as we see Jesus for who he really is, it's as though Simeon turns his attention even especially, even more so now, in speaking with Mary, in saying a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He looks at her and says, this blessing that you have being the virgin through whom the Son of God has been incarnated into this world, this blessing that you have is going to come with a specific form of anguish. Because you're going to watch him die on the cross for your sin. Your mama heart is going to be crushed and broken. But keep your eyes on him because there's hope still because death doesn't have the final say. And that in the end, the thoughts for many hearts would be revealed. And the, the, even the word is, every time it's used in the New Testament of thoughts, this word in particular is a reference to negative thoughts, opposition, hostility, doubts of many hearts and the sense of our mind and our emotions and our will. The thoughts for many hearts will be revealed. How we think of Him Do we think of him as our necessary savior? Do we consider the glory and the detail of the wonder of his providential way and that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the curse of the law that we might know adoption and be brought into the kingdom of Christ through faith in him? What about our affections? Do we adore him? Do we long for him? Do we Trust Him and walk with Him in that way. What about our will, the way in which we make decisions and respond to Him in faith? Jesus exposes who you really are. So we ought to marvel in fear for a moment that we may then marvel in faith. Marvel in fear of the fact that He already knows the condition of your own heart. He already knows what you came in here thinking He already knows all the backdrop of every presupposition you dragged in here and everything that's in the backdrop of who you... But He also knows for all of you who are trusting in Him, He knows. He knows that you're walking with... He knows that you're longing for Him. He knows that you are making decisions on the basis of His glory and His grace. He knows. So marvel for a moment in fear that he knows that you may marvel in faith and trust him with all things. And could it be that this exposure to the light is guiding you right to his grace and mercy? Because isn't it interesting that the song doesn't just simply end there? It's like the moment is over and it's like, okay, well, let's move on. No, even Anna. I mean, you could just keep reading in Luke chapter 2. There was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. 
And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's like she picked right up. The song just continues to reverberate, doesn't it? The echo just continues to carry forth. The marveling of Jesus just continues to spread and get further and further in speaking to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Won't you marvel at Jesus Christ here today? Won't the songs of the Savior stir your heart to awe and wonder here today? Because maybe you finally, you've been longing for, and maybe you've been thinking about it all year long. Is there any hope? Is there any forgiveness? Is there any redemption? Is there any change in this life? Is there any hope that all of the stuff that I've got in my mind and all the things that I carry around in my heart, all the things that I know make me so undeserving, could God actually love and forgive me? Yes! Jesus is proof. Jesus has come. Jesus has lived. Jesus has died. Jesus rose again and reigns on high forever and is calling you now through his spirit here today to marvel, maybe even for the first time, with repentance and faith, to turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that the first day of your marveling would be the last day of this year. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer and you just need to hear and be reminded of the wonders of who Christ is. And maybe the song is starting to echo and you're starting to hear it in your own life. Marvel at Jesus Christ. He who is our salvation. He has come. My eyes have seen your salvation. A light for revelation. Glory to your people Israel. Marvel with me as we behold Jesus. Repent, believe, and walk with him forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace in sending Jesus Christ. Father, as we reflect on an entire year, may we not overlook the fact that we get to reflect on your faithfulness across the span of all existence. That as we've seen you so faithful throughout this one year, stir our hearts in expectation of all of the ways in which you will constantly display your faithfulness in this year yet to come. Father, you are amazing. May we marvel at Jesus together. Father, by your spirit, we pray that you would bring conviction of sin. We pray that you would root out specific sin in the hearts and lives of specific people here today. And Father, that there would just be those who are crying out to you for mercy and would find mercy and grace in their time of need because of Jesus, who would know forgiveness of sin and everlasting life for the first time. Father, may every single one of us here today end this year marveling at Jesus together. Be magnified in our midst as we respond to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.